Well, friends, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, good morning to those of you here gathered in the room with us and those of you joining us online or at some point uh, by recording during the week. Uh, welcome to Worship at Pleasant Street. It's good to see you guys. The sun is coming in through the window. That's a lovely thing for a Sunday morning. Uh, we've come uh, here, in case that was unfamiliar to you, you're at Pleasant Street and you're here for church. Uh, and some of us are here every week, others of us are visitors, we're guests, folks whom we haven't seen in a while. And wherever you fall in that category, we're glad you could be with us today. When we worship at Pleasant Street, we use words that we print in a bulletin, and we use lyrics to songs and words for prayers of adoration and confession response to God that's printed on the screen, screens as well, and you'll be able to see that on your screen at home as well. It's important that we say those things each week because not everybody knows how to do this or the way that we do, and so we want to make sure we can be hospitable. Uh, Speaking of hospitality, there's usually a couple of things that I have for you about things going on in the life of our church as well. Today, I've got two, right? So uh, one of the things I wanted to mention to you is, uh, you've seen this before, but starting in April, we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights a, uh, a book study on a book by a a scholar and a professor. Her name is Rebecca McLaughlin. She wrote this book called 12 Questions, uh, which is questions that people in our world have about the Bible and about Christianity and about church and about Christians. Uh, We realized a couple of months ago after the pandemic that things had changed. Maybe you noticed this too in the world around us that uh, as we were all emerging from the pandemic, we noticed that all of a sudden when we looked around, there were a whole lot more people who were a whole lot less familiar with Christianity. And in fact, that actually fit us as well. And so one of the things that we've wanted to do is to address that uh, in different kinds of small initiatives. And so this is one of those. My wife reminded me that this does not look like the most inviting book. (laughs) that you've ever, ever seen, and, and that's fair, right? Uh, if it helps, I want to give it to you, right? So you don't have to buy it. So we have copies. Uh, if you would like to sign up and join us for that, there is a sign-up in the Connections corner. Uh, I, I'll give you a copy, right, uh, free of charge. I'd encourage you to read it as best you can uh, between now and April, and then we'll spend the four Wednesdays in April just kind of working through it together. Some of you have maybe already read it, and you don't need a copy. Hey, you should come anyway, because you can help teach the rest. Um, the other thing that I want to highlight is the reason that's important is because at the beginning of May, uh, Dr. McLaughlin is actually coming here. We've invited her to be our last lecture in our uh, capstone series of, of uh, faith-informing conversations we've been doing this year. She teaches in Boston. It's not a long drive. Graciously, she's offered to come out and join us on Saturday, May 6th. So please do uh, use this as an opportunity to get familiar with her work as we get ready to meet her in May. Okay, that's the end of the pitch. The other thing is that uh, some of you know, downstairs, right beneath our feet, our our brothers and sisters, our friends from United Presbyterian have been worshiping, worshiping with us while their building is under construction. They're here again today. And we actually wanted to create an opportunity for us to not just be two worshiping churches overlapping, but two churches fellowshipping. So they have been willing to start their service late. They brought some cake, and they're going to join us in the fellowship hall 
right after we are done worshiping together here. So please do join us out there as we welcome and make space for uh, our brothers and sisters at United Press. Friends, you are here to worship. Would you rise in body and spirit? Let's do that together. Good morning, everybody. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 108. My heart, O God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord. Among the nations, I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens, and faithfulness reaches the sky.
You may be seated. So our prayer of confession this morning comes from Exodus. 
It's a bit longer than we usually do. Um, and Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and they will never follow a stranger. So as the world puts different voices in our heads, this is God speaking back to us. So we confess that these voices that God might make his voice of his good shepherd heard over all of that noise. We confess, Lord God, that the voices of a passing age, the world, the flesh, and the devil are loud in our ears and lead us astray. We proclaim personal autonomy. Films and social media are filled with the notion that we don't need God to set us free. We are our own masters. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We ask ourselves, what's in it for me? I'm number one. The world says, try to make as much money as you can and spend all of it on improving your own quality of life. You shall not make yourself form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Sunday is about you. You should get to do whatever you want. Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it whole. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Don't pay attention to your parents. They're old-fashioned, and they ruin your fun. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You are entitled to hate people who are nasty or make life unpleasant. When your marriage gets dull, it's okay to flirt with an affair. You're only human. You should get what you want, even if you have to take it from someone else. It's only wrong if you get caught. Don't miss out on any gossip about people. When you put other people down, you feel better about yourself. Always keep up with the Joneses. Why should other people have to do more than you do? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's spouse. God of truth and mercy, you sent Jesus to speak and save the lost, to open ears and give sight to the blind. We have been dull to love and blind to the truth, and we are lost without you. So friends, let's take these words and these confessions and let's bring them to God together.
in the silent confession. Jesus said, come to me, all that are weary and carrying heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take up my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, our burden is light for you, for you bore our cross, where mercy and truth meet. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus, our forgiveness shines into the world's house. Shatter us in the light of your mercy love. I'd like to invite the deacons up for our offering. They're going to be passing the baskets around. Um, you can give online or on the, the bulletin. There's a QR code. Um, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. You are an abundant God. Through your great mercy, Lord, you have forgiven us. We thank you. In your name, amen. Fixed on the 
Friends, Jesus shares his peace with us, and in a real way, whether it's with a shake or a handshake or a wave um, or just saying hi, we get to, sh to spread Jesus' peace with each other right now. So friends, the peace of Christ is with you. Can I have all the Kid Street kids come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. My name is Brett Buma. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and uh, it's my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. Um, our council meetings always begin with devotions, and uh, this year we wanted to uh, really focus our devotions on receiving Christ's word, which is one of uh, parts of our mission statement. And in doing so, we've been spending time in, the, in, the, uh, uh, in Psalms. And this month, we are reading and reflecting on Psalm 8, which is a psalm of praise, a psalm of David. And the first part of uh, this prayer will be the first few verses of Psalm 8. So uh, please join me in prayer. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth, and you are mindful of us, and you know us by name. The hairs of our heads are all counted. You have called us here, and you invite us to pray to you. In this season of Lent, may we set our eyes upon Jesus and remember that your gift of salvation, freely given to all who repent and believe. Lord, may be this a season of dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new self that you have given to us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the many blessings that you bestow upon us, for providing for our basic needs and so much more, and for providing for our church for more than 125 years. Great is your faithfulness. Help us to be generous in what we have been given. Almighty God, we pray that you will bless the work of our council who will meet this week. Give our leaders wisdom, humility, and joy in, work that, in the work that they do. We pray that you will guide the process as we search for uh, new director of children's ministries, and an associate pastor. Lord, we trust that you will bring to us the people that you have in mind for these positions. 
Lord, we pray for the staff of our church. We pray that you'll be with Pastor Matthew and his family as they will be going on vacation. Give them safe travels and rest and relaxation and bring them back refreshed. Bless Kate as she leads our children's ministries. And bless Steve as he leads our worship team. And bless Sadie in her role as administrator. Lord, we thank you for the servants here at Pleasant Street. And we ask that you will give them all the wisdom, patience, and joy in their ministries. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask a blessing for those in our church who have health issues. We pray that you will be with Cindy H. Grant her comfort and uh, free her of pain. Be with Derek and their children as they go through this with her. Surround them with your love, Lord. And also be with Cindy's entire family and grant them their, your peace. Lord, there are others in our congregation who are be, being treated for cancer. Uh, we think of Hank E., Richard M., and Rick L., and others who are unnamed, Lord. We lift them up to you. We pray that you will give them strength of body and spirit. And may your healing powers be upon them. We ask that you will sustain Maggie C. and Carol L. through their health difficulties. And Father, we pray for Liliana A., who is undergoing tests to determine if surgery will be needed in the near future. Pray that you will be with her at this time. Lord, we pray for all those who struggle with mental illnesses like depression or anxiety. These may not always be visible to us, Lord, but we ask that you will bring healing to them as well. And we ask that you will be with the doctors, nurses, and all others who administer care to uh, members of our congregation and to others, and we, we thank you for the work that they do. Father, be with those who would so much love to be here worshiping with us, who, but are unable to because of health issues or advanced age. We ask you to bless them and bless those who care for them. Living God, we thank you for your word. Spirit, we pray that you will be upon Pastor Matthew as he brings your word to us this morning. Give us open minds and open hearts to hear what you speak through him. Lord, hear the prayers that we bring in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 4, verses 1 through 16, and Hebrews 12, verses 23b through 24. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, 
Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And from Hebrews, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It is the season of Lent, and we have been looking at images of sin that we find in Scripture. We'll continue that together now. Friends, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, gathered here this morning in your house and in your presence, we have come wandering in from a world full of spirals of vengeance. And sitting here, gathered here, we are hoping for a better word. We ask that you would come by your spirit and speak to us now. Amen. If you are just joining us This is the season of Lent, and during Lent, we are following Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, and we are wondering along the way why he would go there in the first place. Because Jerusalem, as he regularly tells the disciples, is the place where they will kill him. And so this journey of Lent is a good time to ask ourselves a question. What's wrong with us? that this should be the path that Jesus has to walk in order to make new life possible. The answer is trouble. Trouble. The world is full of trouble and many kinds of trouble. You and I face daily annoyances like Missing socks, and bills to pay, and traffic, and busted hot water heaters. Beneath the trouble of these daily annoyances, there are regrets and frustrations that we carry with us throughout our days. Words that we wish we hadn't said at the breakfast table. The split-second decision to glance at the phone while driving and the consequent insurance premiums. The parents we haven't seen or called in too long, the friendship that we've neglected. Trouble. Besides annoyance and regrets, there is the trouble of aging. We are getting older, and so are our parents, and so is our spouse. The world is full of trouble 
There is the trouble and the grief of lost loved ones. There is boredom and there is purposelessness. There is the trouble of anxiety. Anxiety which gnaws at our inner peace when we are alone and which tugs on our shirt when we go out into the world. We have trouble of all kinds. Some of you may remember in the 1970s when gas was scarce and the news was bad and the death tolls were high in the paper, the economists had to find a way to talk about what was going on. They came up with the misery index. The misery index. Well, times are better in many ways now, but the misery index is probably longer still. So then, why add sin. Sin is what we are talking about in Lent. Not trouble in general, not the vague term broken, but sin. And to be quite honest, sin may not and often does not seem like our biggest trouble. On the misery index of our lives, we think of sin as a kind of religious problem that ranks usually well below food on the table and somewhere between annual health checkups and regular dental cleanings. However, an inability to see the power and danger of sin is in fact a sign that we are infected with it. We don't take sin seriously which is just a sign of sin's age-old power to deceive, to pull the wool right over our eyes. We underestimate it. It looks small to us. It's there, but it's off in a corner. We can manage it as long as we keep one eye on it. We do not realize that it has us in its sights. We do not understand that sin desires to have us which is what the Lord is trying to tell Cain today. For when he is sulking and stewing in his frustrated life that is not going right, the Lord comes to Cain to address not trouble, but sin. But Cain is not nearly so concerned with something as small as his anger toward God, he is not really that worried about this resentment that is stewing quietly in the corner of his heart toward his brother, not until it's too late. Watch out, the Lord says, for sin is crouching at your door. Last week we saw that sin corrupts like a poison. Today we add to that image right here in the very next chapter This image of sin as a predator. Sin corrupts and sin crouches. The Lord is trying to tell Cain that sin is is crouching there, right there at the door of his heart. It is crouching like a lion in the tall grass, muscles tensed, poised, full of power and terror. Sin has its eyes locked on you, Cain. Sin is coiled like a snake, ready to strike. But Cain thinks he has bigger problems. The harvest is not going well. This older son of Adam and Eve, the favorite of his mother, he's become a farmer. 
And the land is, well, it's not cooperating. His carrots are puny and the lettuce is blighted and he is pouring all of his energy into the ground, but the ground does not respond in kind. Well, God had told Adam that it was going to be like this when they left the Garden of Eden. God had said, just so you know, when you leave this garden, the ground is going to fight back. Although, Abel doesn't seem to have these problems. Abel, Cain's younger brother, has herds and flocks for days. Herds and flocks that are fat and thick. God is clearly favoring Abel. He is getting the blessing that Cain cannot rest from the ground. And when it comes time to bring an offering to God, Abel brings the first lambs of the season, fat and healthy. Cain brings some vegetables. Cain's offering of vegetables is not accepted. How does he know? His life is difficult. It is not working. It is not fruitful. And his face falls to the ground and he is angry with God who seems suddenly fickle and very hard to please. And he looks sidelong at Abel who can seem to do no wrong. Friends, this story here in chapter 4 introduces a theme that we will find throughout the rest of the story of the Bible. God's blessings do not fall in equal measures to everyone. Jacob is loved, Esau is chopped liver. Leah has weak eyes and Rachel is the favorite. Isaac is the chosen and rightful son and Ishmael is a nomad left to his own. God prefers Joseph to all of his brothers. Cain struggles and Abel is blessed. Why? We don't know. We do not know because God is the one who is free. God is the one who is free in this story, and God does what he wants. But that's not actually the problem. The problem is not that God is not fair. The problem is in our response to God who is free. You can see that in these two brothers' worship lives. Both Cain and Abel worship, right? Both of them come to God. Both of them bring a first fruits offering. But there's a subtle difference between them. Maybe you caught it. Cain brings some vegetables. As the text tells us and goes out of its way to show us, Abel brings the first and the best. Abel gives sacrificially. Cain just grabs some stuff. Friends, the difference is subtle, but it's Very important. The difference is not that one of them is successful and the other one is frustrated. It's that they are two different people, two different kinds of people with respect to God. Abel gives sacrificially because he's a different kind of person. Abel is better. Abel seems to be the kind of person who would have given sacrificially no matter how large his flocks were. Meanwhile, Cain might have just scrounged up some carrots, even if he had had a bumper crop. 
Well, God accepts Abel's offering, but something goes wrong with Cain's worship. But rather than get curious about why his offering is not acceptable, Cain gets exceedingly angry. God gives him another chance. He comes to him. Oh, do you hear the grace? Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? You could come back. You could try again. You could do right. But rather than ask for help or humility from God, Cain's face falls down in despair. Be careful, the Lord says. Sin's crouching, and it will have you. It will consume you. But Cain doesn't shut the door. And Cain's anger at God grows and it turns him toward his brother who seems to skate through life with such ease. Sin fixes its eyes on Cain and Cain puts Abel in his crosshairs until suddenly the answer to all his problems seems as simple as a walk in the fields. Friends, this is a story about a man who kills his brother, but murder is not actually the main point of the story. The murder part goes by very, very quickly, right? The point is to see the devouring power of sin that looks small, but will have you for breakfast. This story wants us to see sin crouching in Cain's heart long before it ever becomes full-grown, Full-grown, it's murder, but when it's crouching, it looks like nothing more than envy. Envy? What? You, what? you mean like, like being jealous over what someone else has, over how things are going in their lives? Envy is a little thing. Yeah, it looks like it. But according to Scripture, in the misery index of our lives, envy lies near the top of the list. Just read Genesis if you want to see how it plays out. Envy is nasty, very nasty, because it corrupts love. It inverts it. You can see it clearly in a film like Amadeus, which tells the story of the relationship between two composers, Antonio Salieri and his rival Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Maybe some of you have seen it. Salieri, in the story wants more than anything to be a great composer, and he promises to God wholehearted devotion and chastity if God will just make him a great composer. He makes this bargain with God, and Salieri does have some success. He becomes a court composer in Vienna until Mozart bursts in on the scene, and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is, as one author put it, a superlatively gifted jerk. He is self-important, he chases girls around dining rooms, he giggles absurdly, and Mozart has absolutely everything that Salieri wanted in spades. Mozart disparages the pedestrian music of all of his contemporaries, praising his own brilliance instead. Seemingly without any effort at all, he creates music of such beauty that it splits Salieri into two persons, one of them who wants to worship and the other one who wants to kill. In fact, Salieri is just gifted enough to understand how much better Mozart's music is and will always be to his own. 
He wanted a blessing so he could compose beautiful music for God. God's response was to place that gift in an obscene brat. Mozart dies young. Was Salieri involved or not? We don't know. But the thing is that even long after Mozart is gone, Salieri is still nurturing envy. He is still painfully aware that he will forever be eclipsed by Mozart. There's a scene at the beginning of the film where Salieri is playing some of his compositions and the priest he's talking to has no idea what he's playing. And he plays a piece from Mozart and the priest goes, oh, I know that one, that's charming. Did you write that? And he says, I didn't. That was Mozart. And Salieri at the end of his life sits alone in a disheveled room bound to a wheelchair. And that film is set in 18th century Vienna, but it could have been written down the street. It is true that something like greed is much easier to see and much harder to hide. Envy wears a mask in public and it makes it harder to notice. Envy smiles while in the back of the head there's a plot to ruin the person you're smiling at. But envy... Envy is so much nastier. Unlike greed, the envier doesn't actually want more of what you have. What the envier wants is yours, and they want you to not have it. To envy is to resent your rival's good so much that you are tempted to destroy it. The greedy might resent the blessings that you have in life. The envious resent you for having it. Friends, envy doesn't just destroy the person you are competing with. Envy consumes the envier. Plantinga, Cornelius Plantinga writes, envy poisons the envier. It introduces gangrene into the soul. There's a poem by Victor Hugo uh, that recounts and, and imagines an opportunity uh, granted to both envy and greed. Uh, personifies them as people. And both envy and greed are given an opportunity to receive whatever they wished. But there was one condition, that the other party would receive a double portion. Envy replied, I wish to be blind in one eye. You could envy someone's beauty or their spouse or their BMW or their talent, their reputation or their truck or their kitchen remodel, or their small business success, but at its core, what envy is about is not the object, but who you are without it. The bottom line for the envious, as Rebecca DeYoung writes, is how they stack up against other people because they measure their self-worth comparatively. And comparison, my friends, is a terrible foundation for love. Friends, we... We were built for love, which is where the story of Genesis begins. We were made to fit into a world of love. Love of God and love of neighbor. We were meant to love God and our neighbor as ourself. Envy is a corruption of how we see our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, our colleagues. We begin to sorrow when they succeed and we delight when they fall down. And this is the very opposite of love. 
To love is to seek someone else's good and rejoice when they have it. To envy is to seek to destroy their good and sorrow when they have it. And envy, crouching there, it will destroy the thing that you are desperate to find. A sense of love and that you belong. Envy will make you, in other words, a restless nomad wandering across the face of the earth while your brother's blood cries out from the ground no matter where you go, reminding you that even though he's gone, you will never be as good as him. Friends, sin looks small, but it's hiding. It's crouching. And this is God's point. In lust hides adultery. In greed hides theft. In envy hides murder. But did you see that God gave Cain hope? It was not inevitable that Cain should spend his life alone and without a keeper, afraid of vengeance coming and redounding on his head. God said, Cain, sin is crouching, but it can be mastered. But God doesn't really say much else, does he? What do you mean? Does this mean that we can become perfect? Does this mean by sheer force of will we can conquer it on our own? What do you mean, God? God is saying, did you hear it? He's saying there is a cure. But where is it? How do we get it? God doesn't say much. It's so that we'll keep reading. It's meant to force us to keep going in the story, to keep reading through Rachel and Leah, through David and Saul, through Israel and Judah, through all of the sibling rivalry and competition that keeps spiraling and growing and being passed down and passed on from generation to generation in this story. And then we get to Jesus and Herod. And Jesus is born, and he is called the Holy One, the firstborn. He's the king, the best. And Herod gets a whiff of this, and he can't stand it, because Herod is a pretender. He's not really the rightful one. He tries to kill Jesus. He can't have a rival king in town. Jesus escapes. But then when he grows up, Jesus comes back. And he is commissioned by God at his baptism. You are the son whom I love, God says. And Jesus, wearing God's favor like a robe, he goes immediately into the desert where he is tempted by Satan to take a reputation for himself, to grasp power at someone else's expense, to show the world that he is favored by God, to prove that he alone is the best and everyone else fails in comparison. And Jesus doesn't do it. He says no three times. What's he doing? Jesus is doing what Adam and Eve could not, did not Jesus is doing what Cain failed to do. Jesus is resisting the corrupting lies of Satan and the power of sin crouching right there. Friends, Cain, he cannot master his envy and he becomes a nomad. Jesus comes into the world not as a king taking the throne, but as a nomad 
And he goes to the desert, and that is where the crouching and hidden power of sin starts to be revealed. But it's not until the end of the story that we see its true power. Jesus reveals its true size and strength on the cross. The place where both Herod and Pilate, where the Gentile crowds and the Jewish authorities can all finally agree on one thing. They have to get rid of Jesus. They have to get rid of this man because he is too good and he's making us all look bad. Jesus is pure in his love of God and he is holy and he is perfect. He has the blessing that we so desperately wanted and cannot claim for ourselves. And my friends, this is the way that God cures us. The cross, my friends, is a cancer screening. It shows us that there's something there. Yes, it's small. No, right now, it doesn't look like much. But it's not small. It's crouching, and it's growing. And it must be mastered, tamed, cut out, which is what Jesus does for us. My friends, Jesus doesn't show us the cure. He is the cure. He doesn't show us the way. He is the way. He doesn't point the way to healing. He is the healing. Jesus is the beloved Son of God, the firstborn whom we were always failing to measure up to. Jesus is the one who has the blessing. We don't have the blessing. He has the blessing. He has God's favor. And he dies in obscurity on a cross, a tool meant to shred human worth and not just kill bodies so that he can give the blessing to us. He takes all his betterness and all of his blessedness and all of his favoredness from God and he gives it to you. Envy destroys love. Love of yourself, love with your neighbors, love with God. It consumes us and the blood of all those who are better than us will haunt us no matter where we go. And if, my friends, you know something about what it is like to compete for worth against a sister or a classmate or a teammate or a colleague or a business rival and always wind up losing even when you win, well, if you know that feeling, says Hebrews, then I have good news for you. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's. Abel's blood reminds us that no matter who we are, someone will always be better. Jesus' blood says, no matter who you are, you are God's child. You have God's unconditional, uncomparative, forever, not stopping, not giving up, always and forever, love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we can see in Genesis names, names for what is wrong, names that maybe we had forgotten, or maybe we never knew, names that give shape and definition to the misery 
and the darkness. And those are important and good things and gifts from your hand only because knowing what is wrong, we can better see what you have done about it. And so we ask, O oh God, that even as we use these names as a diagnostic to see the corruption and the distortion of our own condition, that you would hold us, that you would take us by the hand and help us to keep going because we cannot stop here. We must keep going to the end of this journey where we get to hear your own son say, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Amen. Brothers and sisters, at Pleasant Street, as we are trying to receive God's Word and take it into our lives, we do this in worship and also in finding ways for us to talk about what God is teaching us. One of those ways is for our third through fifth grade students to have an opportunity to talk with some of our church leaders about what they're hearing and noticing and observing in church. Uh, so if we have any third through fifth grade students today, I'd invite you guys to come forward because we have a blessing for you. People of God, what is our prayer? Almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. Help us to believe what we have heard and live in ways that honor you above all. Amen. Friends, go in peace to love and serve Jesus. We continue our response to God together. Would you rise in body and spirit? Let's sing.
and sisters, we said this on Ash Wednesday, but the, the, the Jesus whom we see, who has all of God's favor, walks toward the cross and his own death and resurrection in order to give it to us. That's why each week our service ends with lifting our eyes, opening our hands, and receiving, because God has done everything necessary to show us what we mean to him and his love. And so my friends, I'd invite you now to lift your eyes, to open your hands, and receive God's parting blessing, his promise to go with you no matter where your path takes you this week. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. We're going to go singing. Please then do go to the fellowship hall and join our brothers and sisters of United Prez. Uh, also, because we're going to join them, we will not do a sermon discussion today. Let's sing. So friends, a few weeks back, I got to the, the privilege of taking 24 of our youth to uh, Berea. And out of all the fun and games that we did, we sang songs, and that was two or three times a day that we did that. And this is one of the songs that stuck out to me, to see 300 kids in this room, all with their a lot of them with their hands up in the air just singing out that there's nothing better than God and that was an amazing thing to see. So I wanted to share this song with you this morning.
Jesus Christ.